Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Winston Preparatory School is a leading school network for students with learning disabilities. Learn more about Winston Prep and register for an open house at www.winstonprep.edu. And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. This is Lisa on the Law, and remember that this is not about specific legal advice. However, it is about information, and I'm very happy to furnish information that I can. So let's go to our first caller, which is Jeff from Monroe. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the show today. Hello. Hi, Lisa. Thank you, and thank you for uh, fielding our questions. I have a two-parter here. It's pretty simple, I think. How long does it normally take to probate a will in Connecticut if there are no family disagreements or complications okay. uh, anticipated? Let's, all right, let's take that one, and then we'll take the second part. Let's do that one first. Okay. How long does it take to probate a will in Connecticut if there are no complications? Okay, so um, I'm going to just give you a little bit of background. There are three ways in which a will gets probated in Connecticut. There are three uh, methods to it, three avenues. Uh, the first one is if there's a hearing. The second one is if we, we is something that we call um, on waivers. And the third is, um, is um, oh, my God, I'm, I'm forgetting the word right now, but I'll, it'll come to me in a second. But the, this is the idea, Jeff. The idea is that if you say that there are no complications with family members and you have a will, when you submit your will for probate on a form called a PC-200, on the form PC-200, it gives an opportunity for all of the heirs at law to be able to waive any objection to the admission of the will, which is to say they say that we've looked at the will, we have a copy of it, and we have no problem with what this person is saying. We don't think that there was any issue of unsound mind or undue influence. We're cool with it. If you get all the heirs at law to waive an objection, that the other one is called streamline. There it is. I knew it would come to me. Um, then you, and you all sign waivers, Jeff, then when you submit the will with the death certificate and the PC 200 and the waivers, which are on a form PC 180, then if you put it in as a nice little package, it goes into a separate, it goes into a separate bin in most probate courts and it gets expedited. 
because it is on what we call waivers, which is to say there's no issue, there's no problem. Every court is a little bit different. Every judge is a little bit different. I can tell you in the Westport Probate Court, typically a will that comes in, quote, on waivers will get admitted to probate within two to three weeks, less than a month, which is very fast. Um, And there are some courts that will do it around that time. Some may do it in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, but more or less, usually within 30 days, your will is admitted to probate. And that's pretty quick. That's pretty quick. Now, if you can't get all the heirs at law to sign a waiver, then you have something called the streamline process, which is the second way a will gets admitted to probate. And that's something we have in Connecticut that we don't have in New York and other places, but we have it in Connecticut. And that basically says this. The judge has looked over the will. The judge has no problem admitting the will. The judge is notifying everybody who were the heirs that it's going to admit the will at a certain time unless the heirs object. And then if the heirs object, we go to the third thing, which is the hearing. And then we have a hearing to decide whether to admit the will. It's called the streamline process. So let's say there is a daughter and a son and one daughter waives objection. She's got no problems with it. And the son is someplace in Colorado and he just hasn't bothered to send in a waiver but we know where he is. The judge says, okay, we're letting the son know that unless we hear that the son objects to the admission of the will, the will is going to be admitted on this certain date, typically three weeks out, and then the will gets admitted that way. So the waiver is the quickest way. The streamline is the second quickest way, and that might take altogether four to six weeks. And then a hearing is the third quickest way, and you can sometimes request a hearing right away, but as often as not a hearing, maybe a few months. And that's what that is, Jeff. Did I answer your question, or do you want me to go into a little bit about who was an heir at law? Have I got No, I think that's very clear. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, my other part here is that lawyers can sometimes be very slow in getting things done. Yes. Is there a range of time within a, which a lawyer is required to act in probating a client's will? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. No, the answer is no. There is definitely no anything. I mean, all lawyers are not supposed to be unduly dilatory, right, or procrastinate. But no, there's no hard and fast rule. You have to go to a law firm with a reputation of being responsive. You've got, in my opinion, you should go to a law firm that has um, a lawyer and or a paralegal staff that does a lot of these, and they're pretty good about keeping up with them. But that's about the research that the person left behind, right, the, the surviving spouse or the family member is going to do. And no, yep. there's, no, there's no hard and fast rule about that, Jeff. Sorry. Okay. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate the help. You're welcome. I do want to explain, because I just used a legalese term, I just would like to explain to, to you that an heir at law is distinct from a beneficiary. And a beneficiary is a person who is named in the will. So I, Lisa Wexler, I want to leave my possessions to my husband, my son, my daughter, and my favorite charity. Okay, those are my beneficiaries. My heirs at law do not include my charity, right? That's not an heir at law. An heir at law, by definition, are the people that would inherit if you had no will at all. So in other words, your next of kin. And that goes by a specific statutory definition. 
if you're married, your spouse is part of your next of kin. If you have children, your children are always your next of kin. If you're not married and you don't have children, your parents are your next of kin. If you're not married, you don't have children, you don't have parents, but your sisters and brothers are alive, they are next of kin. So there's literally a statute. It's called the statute of intestacy, meaning without a will. And if you're intestate, the people that are there are called your heirs at law. So Connecticut has this. This is what Connecticut does. Connecticut is a state that says, you know what? Sometimes, it's rare, but sometimes people manipulate other people to sign a will to leave their stuff to people that they wouldn't otherwise do if they weren't of sound mind, if they were of sound mind. So we've got a public policy in Connecticut that says, we're going to notify all your next of kin when you die of what your will is and what it says. And your next of kin can look at that will and they could waive any objection to it. They can say, yeah, 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 that's what my grandfather would have done anyway. That's fine. I'm not going to object to that. Or they can say, you know what? My grandfather didn't really want to leave all of his money to a dog walker. Like, that's not what he would have wanted to do. Somebody manipulated my grandfather. I'm going to object to that will. And so that is our thing. So that's why we have this thing called waivers, streamline, and hearing. It gives an opportunity for heirs at law to look at the will and decide whether or not they're going to object. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome back to the show. This is Lisa on the law at 203-333-9422. Remember, not legal advice, but information you can use. And from Newtown, hi, how can I help you? Hi, I have a young adult um, son who lives with me who's currently involuntarily hospitalized for a mental health issue. Um, He's refusing medication. Um, A prior hospitalization resulted in mandating medication through probate. So my concern is his father has shown up who's not been involved in any of his medical treatment in the past and has met with the treatment team and is saying he'll take my son home unmedicated. Um, I am wondering legally if there is a way for me to prevent this. I think it's delaying my son's treatment and it's harmful. Um, So I'm thinking about conservatorship and what that might mean and looking for any resources. Okay, so I'm not giving you any legal advice. I'm going to tell you the law, Anne, and I'd like you to have a pencil and paper. Okay. You ready? Do you have something? Yes. Because I'm going to throw a lot of information at you now, and um, I don't want to make it too much, but I'm not giving you any advice, particularly because I wear another hat as a probate judge, and I do these commitments myself. So uh, the first thing you need to know is the law in the state of Connecticut says that if somebody has been involuntarily committed to a psychiatric ward, and the word committed is loosely used here, but admitted would be a better word. If they've been involuntarily admitted to a psychiatric hospital, 
on something called a PEC, a physician's emergency certificate, which is signed by a doctor in an ER, that that piece of paper is only good for 15 days. And during those 15 days, it gives the hospital and the patient an opportunity to decide on treatment. Typically, and I'm just saying typically, hospitals will want the patients to take medicine. It could be a variety of different medicines, but they, that's their weapon of choice in their battle against mental illness. They believe in medicine, they think it works, and they want people to take it. If people refuse to take medicine, uh, they cannot be compelled to take medicine unless they're already in a hospital, in a hospital setting. And if they refuse to take medicine and the hospital believes that they need to have the medicine and they need to stay there even past the 15-day period, then the hospital, the hospital will file a petition that will be a commitment proceeding, which is an indefinite stay in the hospital. And then on top of that, they will file a motion to compel meds. Now, Ann, you've already said that you've been through this, so you know that a motion to compel medicine can only be accompanied by somebody who already has a conservator. Now, you said your son, you're talking about filing for conservatorship. If your son was already compelled to take medicine in a hospital, there was a conservator that was appointed. My understanding is that the conservator was the state. No. It was. Wow. Okay. No. No, you're missing some information. No, the conservator is not the state. The conservator is always an individual and the conservatorship um, and and the conservatorship is for the specific, can be for the specific purpose of compelling medicine in the hospitalization, which is very frequent. But the conservatorship will extend past that unless it's been terminated. So you need more information about your situation, about what happened the last time, because there may already be a conservator that was appointed and it is not the state. Okay. Um, Could it have been a physician? No, definitely not. No, a conservator, if it, 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 So the law requires the family, the immediate family, the mother, the father, to be notified and noticed for any conservatorship application, even if it's in a hospital. And um, at that time, while there's a bias in favor of family members being the conservators, there are a lot of reasons why family members don't want to be conservators compelling medicine. They don't want to be the bad guy. So very often it's a professional lawyer who acts as sort of a state-contracted conservator, who is the conservator. It's never a doctor. So it could have been the court-appointed lawyer then? No, it could, it could have been, but it's rare. It typically would not be the court-appointed lawyer who represented your son in the proceeding. It would have been another person. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm so confused because I was listening to, you know, was virtual to that probate hearing the commitment and the medication hearing, but conservator never came up in that in that meeting. So I am a little puzzled here. I'm very puzzled. It's always a three and he's one. at a it's... different hospital. Yeah, he's at a different hospital now. Well, well, all, well. What I can tell you is the law. 
I can't give you advice okay. about your son or what, but I can tell you the law says it's very clear in Connecticut. I know it very well. There has to be a conservator appointed for the purpose of being that intermediary between the hospital and the patient because the patient has to have been found to be unable to give informed consent as a matter of law by clear and convincing evidence. It's a very high standard to force somebody to take medicine against their will. Uh, and so there is a very high bar to do it. So, so that's so – that's, now – the typical petition comes from the hospital when someone is hospitalized. However, however, the law does provide that anybody can petition for anybody else to be conserved. And that form, um, I believe it's a PC. What the heck is that form? Hold on. If you go on probate courts, hold on. Let me see here. If you go on the probate court you will see the form itself. Let me see if I can find it for you quickly. And it, and it, and it had, here, it's called the PC300, and you can find it on ctprobate.gov, that's ctprobate.gov, form PC300, for the involuntary appointment of a conservator. And there's various things you have to fill out, the date of birth of the person, et cetera. You also have to, um, and you also will have to notice, notify the father, of your son because he, like you, has a statutory right to be informed about something like this, and you can fill it out. Now, that means you have to pay the fees, um, but you can always petition for somebody to be conserved, um, and, and you can petition with the probate court where the person is located, or you can petition with the probate court where the person resides. So it can either be in the probate court where your son resides with you if you're more comfortable, or it can be in the probate court where your son is physically located in the hospital in which he's at. But either probate court will have jurisdiction over the matter. Okay. All right. So I, I should told you be I was going to be giving you a lot of information, so I'll slow down a little bit so you can digest what I'm saying. No, it's, this makes really good sense. I just think the first if I, I guess I need to find out conservatorship previously assigned it seems odd if it's me that I don't know about it um, and if that carries over okay right exactly exactly so unless that conservatorship was terminated your son already has a conservator which would be notified who would be notified in case there's another application made for meds. Now, in terms of what you told me as a, a fact pattern between you and your husband and all of that, if there's an issue of law that I can help you with, I'm happy to help you with. I obviously am not going to give you any kind of advice. Yeah, so it's my ex-husband has not been involved in my son's treatment at all, also lives in a different state, um, but telling my son that he's going willing to take him home unmedicated, you know, my son is anxious and waiting for that to happen. I, I don't think it will because I think the 15 days will be up and it, like maybe it will go to probate, but it's delaying his, his treatment. So I don't know yet if there's anything legally that I can do to prevent him from coming in and sort of feeding into my son's delusions. Um, which is what's happening. So legally, when somebody is already in the custody of a psychiatric unit, it's really the doctors and their recommendations 
for the patient that drive the legal bus. It really doesn't have anything to do with you or your ex-husband or your husband now, if ex or whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with, because, because the doctors are really in charge of what is going to happen there. If the doctors feel that your son doesn't require medicine, they're going to release him even if it's before the 15 days. If the doctors feel that he's either gravely disabled or dangerous to himself or others, and that by not taking medicine, he still is going to be gravely disabled or dangerous to himself or others, and that staying in a hospital and being compelled to take medicine is the only thing that they feel in good conscience medically they can do to try and get him better, then they will file the petition to commit him and to have those meds compelled. But it's really the doctors who drive the legal bus here. It really doesn't. Now, sometimes the doctors will feel like somebody, you know, can get dismissed. And they're only too happy to have a parent take custody because housing is a huge issue. And very often people end up staying in a psychiatric hospital even longer than medicine says that they should because of a practical reality that they have nowhere to go. And that's just a practical reality of having not enough housing, supervised housing or healthy or safe housing for people that need to be discharged from a psychiatric hospital. But I would say that, yeah, it's, not, it's, not, it's, that, that it's not about the, um, what you or your husband are willing to do. It's what the doctors are persuaded is the best course of action now for your son. That's going to control what happens. Okay. I, okay. I was just concerned that he could be persuasive and not knowing the danger of him being released without medication. So I have to rely on the doctors to be observing him. And because right. currently I'm the one making the tough decisions to to have him placed, <laughs> to have you know, make those calls and be where I think he's safe and can get treatment. So. At this time, you know, he's re- he's refusing to let me talk to yeah. his doctors. This well, is the, fir- this mean, is the, the first thing, time that's happened. Yeah, and the other thing that a, a parent can do is, I mean, typically the petitioner for commitment is the hospital, but sometimes a parent can petition to commit their child. So sometimes uh-huh. a parent will say to the hospital staff, I don't agree with you. I don't think my child is ready to be released. And so a parent will, will make a motion to commit, but it's very rare. It's expensive. You have to pay for two outside doctors to come to the hospital to go ahead and agree with you. And if the treating psychiatrist doesn't agree, then it becomes difficult for a probate judge to go ahead and commit somebody against the advice of the treating psychiatrist. It can be done theoretically, but, uh, uh, but the probate judge has to find altogether that there's clear and convincing evidence that somebody must be committed. And if the treating psychiatrist in the hospital doesn't think so, I would say that you have a difficult burden of proof. It can be done, but it's a harder burden of proof. Okay? Okay. 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 Thank you so much. You're welcome, Amy. I hope I've helped you, and good luck with your situation. Good luck. Thank you so much. Take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 